The church today invites us to rejoice, and all our readings speak of joy and to rejoice. But I don't know about you, it's hard to rejoice not knowing why we have to be joyful. What are we joyful about? Because if we look at our life today and look at the world around us, there's really nothing to be joyful about. We're so preoccupied right now with so many other things within our life, it's hard to be joyful. Some of us, this time of year is a difficult time of year because the loss of loved one. Because we come to understand and recognize, you know, someone may not be there this time of year. It may be different for others where they're trying to be preoccupied with all the external things. I know growing up, my mother hated this time of year because she herself is freaking out right now, trying to figure out what Christmas gifts to get, how to get everything wrapped, making sure everything's done, making sure us as kids didn't get to the Christmas presents before Christmas. And there's so many other things within our lives that it's hard to find joy. It's hard to rejoice in. So in some sense, we're really just miserable. So then why does the church want us to rejoice? Why is there a sense of joy that needs to exist within us today and for the rest of our life? I think to better understand the context of this joy, we have to kind of bounce back and forth in time and bounce back and forth in situations to really understand this joy. We are about to enter Christmas where Christ becomes incarnate and born of the Virgin Mary. That becomes the key on why we have to rejoice. The key becomes Christ and Christ himself. We live and sit in a world today where we have no direction, we have no mission, because we don't know who we are. We don't know what we're doing because of original sin and because of our broken human nature. It's hard to find and to be restored to what we were meant to be. What we were meant to be and to exist, to do, was to be in relationship with God. To know, to love, to serve Him in this life and in life to come. But the problem is, here's now we're going to jump back. Look at salvation history. We as human beings didn't want God. It's hard for us to choose God in our life. It's hard to serve this God we call. Because it's not what we want. It doesn't allow me to do what I want. It doesn't allow me to live the way I want. And therefore we are in the predicament we are in. We struggle today in the same way the chosen people of the Israelites are struggling. We are struggling the same way as Adam and Eve was struggling once they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. But just as the same incident in the Garden of Eden, we have the choice and opportunity to rectify that decision-making. Nothing is stopping us from choosing God. Nothing is stopping us from accepting God and to love God the way God has called us to. But as we come to look at the Gospel reading today, we begin to understand why we don't and what we need to begin to change. The first question John the Baptist is asked 
Who are you? The easiest thing for us to say, oh, I'm Father Wynn. How are you? But that's not the question that John the Baptist is being asked. The question he is being asked is, who do you belong to? Who are you a slave to? Because what they're asking is the relationship that defines who you are. You didn't just exist. You didn't all of a sudden appear whatever year you were born, whatever day, whatever month you were born. You didn't just appear. But you were born in a family, belonging to a mother and father, having a relationship with them. You can't be a father without a son or daughter. You can't be a mother without a son or daughter. You can't be a father without having a child. So you belong into a relation. So when they ask who you are, who John the Baptist is, they're asking about what is your relationship? Who do you belong to? He tells them, I am not the Messiah. It's not about me. It's my relationship to my God. So it begins with our love, our relationship with God. We've broken that at the Garden of Eden. We can choose now to love God and to be in relationship with God. Because the result of that is joy. The result of that is love. The result of that is peace. We're not meant to have any other relationships. We're not, to, we're not meant to have a relationship with the world. Everything around us and everything in the world today is all passing things. But we choose instead to love the world. We choose instead to be in relationship with the world. We choose instead the relationship that is not what God has called us. And then you ask yourself, why am I not joyful? Why am I not happy? Why am I not at peace? The result is clear. The choice is yours. You can make the decision to choose God, to love God above all things, to have Him be what defines who you are. But it's too hard. It's not what I want. I don't get to choose the way I live. I don't get to live the way I want to live. Which then leads to the second question. What do you say of yourself? How do you speak of this love? Because when we think of love, the easiest thing we come up with is this sentimental feeling we have within our gut. This big beautiful heart. This bouquet of roses. But it's not the case. How do we speak of love? We hear John the Baptist say, A voice of one crying out of the desert, Make straight the way of the Lord. What does that really mean for us? Make straight the way of the Lord. We're following his path. We're following the man who set and is going to show us what is love. He shows us very clearly, love is not a sentimental feeling. Love is the cross. Love is an unconditional gift of oneself to the other 
without counting the cost, without expecting anything back in return, and a complete gift of oneself. You tell me that's love? Who wants that for themselves? Who wants a half-naked man crucified, bleeding to death, as a sign of love? Can we not just put a big, beautiful teddy bear up there, cute and cuddly? Can we not put a big heart up there and call it a day? Can we not put a bouquet of roses? Put whatever you want, any sign of love, anything you want to call it. But why do we have to put the cross? Why is the crucifix the most crucial, important, pivotal thing when you see it when you walk into a Catholic church? Because that sentimental feeling we have within ourselves fades away. But it's that sacrificial love, that unconditional gift of oneself to the other without counting the cost, without expecting anything back in return, is true love. Because it's not about me anymore. It's about the other. It's about wanting the best for the other. Loving them for who they are, as broken, as imperfect as, as they are. But it begins with a relationship. Make straight his path. It's not my path. The Lord has set the path for us. But it's in that relationship of trust, knowing that that love of Christ will guide me through everything I do, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of tribulation, even in the midst of suffering. He still loves me. Our parents try our best to embody, imbue, and manifest that love for us. Some do it better than others. Others struggle. One of the most beautiful things that I always remember and, and constantly go back to was the sacrifices my mother made every day growing up as a child. She woke up every morning, got ready, started cooking breakfast, made sure we woke up on time, had breakfast, sat down and enjoyed ourselves. Then she'd help us go get ready for class, help us get to school, do the things around the house. When we got home, she was the first one there to pick us up Ask us how our day was. Went home, helped us get our homework done. Even though she's never accomplished anything farther than a third grade education, she did her best to help us with our homework. Then she would work around the house, get ready for dinner, prep dinner, help us get ready for the evening, and made sure we were in bed by 8 o'clock so that the next day we wouldn't be, be angry, be frustrated, be sleep deprived. Every day of our life, for all 12 years of schooling. If that's not love, I don't know what is. But it's in those little things, in those sacrifices, she never complained about it. She never said, oh, I do all of these things for you. Even to this day as an adult, she still wants to do the same. But if that's not love and love for her own children, then I don't know what is. 
But it's in seeing that and understanding that do we come to better understand and manifest why Jesus did what he did. Why there is joy, why there is a need for joy. Because we're not meant to suffer any longer. We're not meant to walk in isolation anymore. We're not meant to be alone anymore. But what we're meant to have is in that last question John the Baptist is asked. Why do you baptize if you're not the Messiah? If you're not Elijah? If you're not the prophet? Why do you baptize? I baptize with water. But the one coming after me will baptize in the Spirit. It speaks of transformation and change. It speaks to something greater in one's life. It speaks to our destination and goal. And it speaks to the core and interior aspect of our life. This is who we are. We are not just any other people in this world, my dear brothers and sisters. But each and every one of us, marked by the sign of our baptism, are sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. We are meant for love, we are created for love, and we are love itself. But this love is not forced on us. This love is not a demand on us. This love is a choice. This love is who we are. Do we want to embrace it? Do we want to enjoy this joy that God has given us? Or are we okay and content with walking the way we are? This is why we have to be joyful, my dear brothers and sisters, because we have a choice. We can choose to be miserable and walk in the ways of the world. We can love the world the way the world wants us and tricks us into thinking we should be loved. Or we can walk the way of the Lord, be sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, and be transformed by that love of Christ forever. And our life will never be the same after that. Our life will be changed forever. We will be transformed just as we were at our baptism. So there is a reason for rejoicing. There is an excitement and a joy that is coming because he is not just around the corner. He is here. He came 2,000 years ago and he will be coming again in glory. But in our daily life, he is coming. He is knocking at your door, seeking you so that he can love you unconditionally, so that he can give him his life for you, so that he can show you what to be joyful about, to guide you in your life and to give you strength in the trials and tribulations and the suffering. But what we, he can't do is force himself into your home the home of your heart, the home that you're preparing for him throughout this Advent season for his dwelling and his coming in glory. There is something joyful. There is something exciting. But the choice is yours. Do you want it or not? Do you want his love to be joyful or not? Are you content and okay with the life you're living now? Or do you want a newness of life? The choice is yours. Advent is coming very close to an end. If you haven't prepared a home for him, it's not too late. It's not too late. It begins with that relationship. So let us begin, commit ourselves today. If joy and that rejoicing is what we want, let us begin today with prayer. 
to begin to figure out who we are. Then to continue as we understand who we are, going to that second question of John the Baptist, knowing the way of the Lord, we go back to reconcile ourselves with Christ. We go to seek his mercy. We come to seek his help. We're not perfect. We're broken. But without him, we can't do it. Without him in front of us, guiding us in our lives, we don't know where we're going. So bring yourself to the sacrament of confession. Reconcile yourself with God. Restore that relationship that was meant for us. And in prayer, in reconciliation, we then can continue to be transformed and changed. We can begin to seek and find God in those little things and ways in which he has loved us. So that as that relationship transforms and changes us, we can love our husband, our wife, the way God has called us. We can make that same love that Christ did for us, for our sons, our daughters. So that Christmas doesn't become another holiday, another federal event, the worldwide event that we just pass by again. But it becomes a day in which we embrace our mission, in which the day we remind ourselves of Christ's day in which he embraced his mission, to bring himself to the world so that we on Christmas Day can bring Christ to the world and share and tell people, look what Christ has done in my life. Look at how Christ has loved me in my own brokenness, in my own imperfection, in my fallen state. How Christ has loved me and how Christ can love you too. So that today and for the rest of, the, for the rest of your life, we too and the world can rejoice because there is something more. We don't have to continue to live the way we're living, but instead we can live the life we were meant to have the life we were meant to be from the beginning of time, the life that God desired for each and every one of us. Amen.